0: here bringing you a very special episode today today we are bringing you a very special follow-up on
1: our missing in nepal
0: episode right so that was episode 33 on aubrey sacco
1: So if you haven't gone and listened to that, I would recommend listening to that. Or I guess you can just listen to our little recap we're about to do for you.
0: Yeah, and that intro that we had today was a very special intro because that was actually Aubrey Sacco. If you remember, she was a singer and songwriter. So the reason we're doing this follow-up today is that we had the privilege of interviewing Paul and Connie Sacco, who are Aubrey's parents. So we got to talk to them about their journey in searching for their daughter, which was amazing. We're going to do a little recap for you guys, and then we're going to get into the interview. Aubrey Sacco is a
1: 23-year-old from Colorado who went missing in Nepal in 2010
0: in the Himalayas. Himalayans. Himalayan mountain? Him- Himalayas? She was trekking into Langtang, which is a national park in Nepal at the base of the Himalayas. Way better said than me. (laughs) Way better. So you guys, this happened in 2010 and we are right now approaching the 11 year anniversary of Aubrey going missing. So anniversary time, we thought it was a great time to try to bring a little more awareness to this case. We still feel like this is one of those cases that can be solved. We feel like Somebody knows
1: something in this case. Somebody can help in some kind of way, and
0: we are here to put more awareness towards this case. Yep. And also the dangers of backpacking alone, which is why Madison's not allowed to do that. Hypocrite. I literally just got back from hiking by myself. She's a hypocrite. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so in this case, Aubrey was trekking through the Langtang Forest. She was staying at tea houses along the way, and she planned to be hiking for 7 to 10 days, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit more with her parents. So she's staying at the tea houses, which, as we explained before, is kind of like the refuges that we stayed in in Europe. Yes. So they cook your food. There's not reservations. You basically just walk in, see if they have space, and if not, you go on to the next place.
1: And these tea houses also allow for backpackers to carry less gear. Um.
0: So basically, this would allow for Aubrey to hike with a lighter pack Mm -hmm. and not have to carry a tent, not have to carry all of her food and things like that. She set out for her hike on April 21. So the last time that Aubrey was seen, she was at the Sherpa Lodge. From there, she planned to go to Riverside. So she leaves the Sherpa Lodge and is never seen again. Now, to this day, we still do not know what happened to Aubrey after leaving the Sherpa Lodge. We have no idea if she met foul play, if she got lost. We have no clue. Her family and hundreds of people have gone looking for her in this area and Nothing has been found.
1: It's even hard to speculate in Aubrey's case because there's no, there's nothing.
0: Yeah, there's no clue indicating one thing over the other.
1: So we are here to bring you
0: firsthand what her parents have to say about these things. And what their journey has been like in this whole crazy scenario. And we're going to post... Uh, parts of the interview here today, um, but we will have the full interview up on our Patreon for anybody who wants to hear the full interview. Well, I'm Paul, and this is my wife, Connie. This is so lovely that we can sit here and have a conversation with you guys in different states so far oh, away from each other.
2: And we we really like to uh, raise awareness, you know, as much as we can about Avery. Uh, because the situation is just so complicated. Very happy to speak with you today.
0: Yeah, well, we're so happy to have you guys. I'm so glad that you were willing to speak to us. We definitely like to bring awareness, especially to some of the, the cases that have been out for a while, where, you know, we just want to make sure that people don't forget about them and that people are still questioning and people are still trying to get results and yeah, trying to figure out what happens. So yeah. we want to make sure that they don't. <clears throat> forget. I'm Marie, by the way. This is my daughter, Maddie.
2: I figured you were Marie.
0: Okay,
3: hi. Nice to meet you both.
0: It's nice to meet you guys as well. Okay, so we are here today talking to Paul and Connie Seiko. And first off, we really wanted to thank you guys for joining us today. We are really looking forward to bringing more awareness to this case. We did cover it. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. First off, do you guys just want to tell us about Aubrey a little bit?
2: That could take all day.
0: (laughs) Well,
3: I summarize. You know, Aubrey is a loving, funny, extremely talented in music and art and a daring woman. And family means a lot to her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Uh,
2: Creative, loud, uh, loving, uh, extremely resourceful and enterprising she had several business ideas going. I mean, just, just a constant, you know, um, stream of an idea type person. And I don't know if you can see behind us, but you see the paintings? Yeah. Are
0: those, those are hers?
2: Two of her many, many paintings. Wow. And that's mixed media. And that might have been when she was a teenager, but, you know, a very artistic person, uh, very loud, very loyal and unflappable which is one of the reasons she got into trouble we think just very daring you know just um, uh, what would be the word for courageous and daring
0: right well i i'm amazed actually i mean traveling by herself and backpacking by herself in another country i mean that's an amazing feat all on its own. It sounds like she impacted people all along the way, made friends all along the way. I mean, it sounds like she was kind of in her element doing that as well.
3: Yes, and you know, she's always been independent. Um, but she had also had several friends that had, you know, trekked alone or, you know, traveled throughout Europe and, you know, Asian countries alone. And so they inspired her uh, to, hey, you can do it. Don't, don't worry. Right. This or that. Um and I think that really gave her a lot of courage. Um, you know, we weren't always necessarily like, oh, okay, yeah, just go. You know, we- really I can imagine. <laughs> and, and originally before she decided to, to start off in Sri Lanka, she had bought uh, an airline ticket to go to, where was it? Colombia or someplace like oh, that. Like, really? Oh, no, you can't do that. And so we actually forced her into canceling that trip. And then she came up, with this trip and she was able to get employment at a high-end resort in Sri Lanka where she would teach their yoga classes over the Christmas holiday. Um, And that kind of started this journey and she thought, well, if I'm just, you know, I don't want to just go for two weeks. And she then looked into furthering her education per se. She signed up for yoga teaching um, in Mysore, and then also took a course in Reiki, and so because we felt, you know, we thought, okay, you're not just going to play; you're actually going yeah. to do something good for yourself. Then we were more supportive, you know, of her going, and she was really very good at communicating. You know, uh, I as I was going through your questions, um, I realized you know there were times that we talked to her twice a day if she was in a place where she had uh, internet, and then there were times that we didn't hear from her if she was traveling or whatever.
0: Were you were you nervous during those times, or were you just like she just doesn't have internet, like she's probably fine? Always,
3: very always. You know, and then once we would hear yeah. from her, it's like oh, okay, oh that's where you are now, or you, you know, can, like relax for a second, absolutely. And, you know, one of the first things, like when Aubrey first went missing and people would say, oh, you know, what, you know, what 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 do you suggest parents do? And I said, take away their passports. But, you know, Aubrey, at the time... Hand over, Madison. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you actually
0: have my passport. <laughs> I think I do have your passport.
3: <laughs> you know, and at the time, Aubrey was 23 years old. You know,
0: she was an adult. You can't force... What you want on them, you have to let them live their lives and figure it out for themselves. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. We had no idea when we started looking into this case how many people had gone missing in Nepal. I mean, we've talked about going there. We've talked yeah. about... She especially has talked about going there. And I had no idea how dangerous it could be to be there alone uh, backpacking.
2: It's it's an epidemic there. It is, and of course it's like you don't hear about people drowning in Hawaii because of the tourism industry,
0: right? But But there's so
2: many people that do. Yeah, and it's the same thing with Nepal. A lot of trackers never come back. They either you know killed by wild animals, which is very rare. They um, meet um, their fate with some kind of accident, which was more prevalent or they're assaulted or killed by somebody. Right. And I don't know if the numbers are are tremendously high. Um,
0: I couldn't even find numbers on it. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, They could be very high that year, you know. But because the facilities and the uh, policing, the investigations are so inadequate there, whatever happens is a big problem. It's so difficult uh, to organize the proper kind of investigation with boots on the ground, the kind of thing you'd see in America. It it just doesn't happen in Nepal.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that because you did, you flew there uh, shortly after she went missing. Yes. What was that experience like?
2: A few times uh, we've gone there. And and each time, you know, hiking through the Himalaya, uh, trying to find any clues or talking to people. And the, those sorts of things. The first time I went to, uh, which was right after she went missing, uh, was very scary and dangerous because I had just had a surgery on my hip.
0: I was reading and, about that. I can't believe you were out there hiking.
2: Yeah, I had a, a snowboarding accident with my boys. <sighs> and it, it uh, busted up my femur, you know. So I had to have my hip uh, replaced. And so you're not supposed to go anywhere when that happens for a while.
0: Especially not hiking in the Himalayas?
2: It wasn't like climbing a mountain, though. It's a little bit like the trail hiking in Colorado. Okay. And the maximum elevation uh, I attained was maybe maybe 8,000 feet, something okay. like that. Yeah. So it, wasn't, it was just long, really, really long.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not terribly dangerous, right? Right. There were some areas of the trail where it got skinny, and below there was a rushing you know, Langtang River.
0: Right. I've read about some of those areas. Very violent
2: river, you know. And that is how some people get killed. They fall in the Mm -hmm. river. But it's hard to fall in the river there. It's hard.
0: Especially if you're an experienced backpacker and you know how to stay on trail and you know what areas to avoid and things like that.
2: You know, like the Grand Canyon, how many people are taking a selfie and fall off the rim every year. It's kind of that way uh, in the Langtang, I imagine. You know.
3: And then, especially what was what was complicated during that first trip too, is you began organizing people to help search, and even before Paul went, um, we had a connection to Nepal. We had a friend who whose brother. Uh, was in uh, Kathmandu and his brother and a friend they went, uh, took a motorcycle up to Langtang and then just started asking questions and getting people together and oh, wow. got a contact here in Colorado that called a family that he knew uh, that lived in Langtang yeah. and they went to check records so, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area, so tea house Trekking, you know it's literally just a path that people walk on, there are yeah. No roads for vehicles. If they want supplies, they're carried on their heads, their backs, you know, they're literally walked up to these different areas. And this particular family, they went to check the checkpost. So every so often there might be a checkpost that you have to. And so we had a little bit already going on. And then when Paul went, he then kind of met up with people that we'd made contact with and then started hiring people to, to help, go in areas where we couldn't go. And we did that for three years. We were sending people yeah.
0: out. Wow. What a crazy experience that must be for you guys. I mean, you're dealing with language barriers. You're dealing with a different culture. You're dealing with authorities who maybe don't want there to be anything wrong or anything that happened. So that must be really difficult. Harry?
2: Yeah, the, the language, you know, was extremely difficult it's like a it's not taught anywhere there's there's no course you can buy what would it it be like a mixture between French and in mandarin it's
1: two very different languages very
2: different languages and the tongue rolls like you're speaking French mm-hmm. but then there are those stops like they have in like Chinese mm-hmm. you know like a mandarin is uh, but because i met with so many people, i learned to speak. Um, at least, I wouldn't say I was conversational, but enough to get around, mm-hmm. you know. And so that really opened a lot of doors, didn't it? Yes. And that made the people realize we respected them, you know, up there. That helped right. a lot. But yeah, those were the challenges. Uh, it's very primitive, especially the mountain cultures, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Do you know, did she is that a place where you have to make reservations or is it just kind of you just walk in wherever you happen to be settling down for the evening?
3: You walk in. They they don't do reservations.
0: Okay. So if you come to
3: a tea house, maybe that's full for that night, you just go on to go on to the next one. one. Wow, that's crazy.
2: At that time there was very little communication even. I'm sure now there's it's better. It has to have gotten better.
3: They probably have more internet. They
2: were maybe every mile. Uh, there was maybe one or possibly two areas where a cell phone could receive reception. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. So, not yes, as yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So, once she started hiking, you guys probably didn't have much communication with her then. No. No.
3: She started in Sarah Babessi. Um, that's kind of where the buses from Kathmandu will bring uh, the truckers, the tourists, and just drop them off. And then people start from there on their hikes. So That's we, the trailhead, yeah. Yeah. And the, um so we had communicated with her via Skype, you know, when she was there, and we were trying to encourage her, hey, don't go wait one more day, please. Just one more day. She's like, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, and I said, you know, dad's having a surgery. And she said, Oh, don't worry, mom, he'll be fine. And so obviously, you know, I wanted to be able to communicate with her. She had lost her cell phone. So she had no cell phone, even if she did get um, service. And she basically said, you know, I'll be back in seven to 10 days. And, you know, I'll just check in. And, you know, that was basically our last conversation.
0: And so she didn't I, even have a phone, even if she did have service where she could have yeah, gotten right, in contact with anyone. Right, oh, wow. Right. And I mean, seven or 10 days, that's not crazy when you're out hiking to not communicate with your family. I mean, it sounds this, like she wasn't very concerned.
2: She wasn't. This trip to Nepal was a, a last minute change in her itinerary. Mm-hmm. And so she hadn't done a lot of research on it, and we had done none. But she had read uh, Lonely Planet and had friends that had been there. So she knew a lot more about it than we did and was constantly assuring us it was safe. And us not having been known anything about it at the time, and me going into the surgery, we didn't have any time to well, really look into it.
3: Well, I had asked her, but you know, we, what book or were you reading? Yeah. And she was reading The Lonely Panther planet in nepal so i ran out and bought a copy and so i went page by page i'm like okay you're on page 200 yes so you know because they kind of just give you the trails and like what tea house will be here how many miles i mean it really was it is a national park
2: see in nepal that's true it is patrolled by the military of the country and so those two things you know the tea house the tourists All of those things, and then what Connie had read, we weren't really that worried about her, but we did think she should get a guide, and we were emphatic about that. And she argued with us, no, I don't need one. I'm not going to get one. I don't need one.
3: That was before we started reading the book, too. And then the book kind of assured us that it was going to be okay. I was
0: just going to say, when I started reading about it, a lot of the guidebooks, a lot of the people who write about it, they're... It's safe. You don't need a guide. Like here's all the things that will help do this trek on your own without the assistance of paying somebody to take you through. It's kind of a false sense of security when you have other backpackers and you have guide, like people telling you this is safe. You can do it without a guide. You know.
2: Yes. In the years subsequent to her disappearance, we would sometimes get the laws changed there or what we might call the trekking rules that are not really laws I guess right uh, so that guides were required on and off but i think when they saw the effect it had on trekking they would back off
0: so people wouldn't would stop going backpacking because they would I have think so. to pay it had
2: negative effect on tourism yeah
0: mm-hmm. hi yeah. baby come here we have a child interrupting. <laughs> Come here. Oh, <Okay>. <laughs> person. This is Phoenix. <laughs>
3: Hi. Hi there. Hello.
0: So I have five daughters. This is oh. the youngest. <laughs> wow, oh, yeah. five! I had three sisters, so there were four four girls in my
3: family. It's interesting. <laughs> Are
2: you the oldest or the middle?
0: I'm the second oldest.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So the same thing happens with our podcast where we will be recording and we'll get interrupted. Yep. Okay, so when was the first time you guys realized that something was wrong? I, I just had a
3: gut feeling. I don't know why. And it, and I probably just... It wasn't even seven days that I was like, hey, you know, I would have thought she'd be back by now. And so I just started making phone calls um, so I pulled out my Lonely Planet book and there were some of the tea houses that had phone numbers and I didn't know either. I thought, oh, they, you know, it was like a hotel where they knew who was registered. And so I just started calling who I could to find out if she was there. Well, once I traveled there and realized, oh my gosh, that was so stupid of me, but I had no idea. And, you know, they're talking another language. I'm like, Aubrey Sacco, you know, and we just were not connecting. And because of the 12-hour difference, it would always be at night. And I can't remember exactly when it was that I decided to call the embassy. And somebody picked up the embassy at, some, at the embassy, and it sounded like they'd been sleeping, and it was a guard. And he said the embassy is closed because there, is, uh, there are riots going on, and the whole country has been shut down by the Maoists. The Maoists are considered, in the U.S., they're terrorists, but they're
2: They're communists. communists. They're communists. They call it a strike. And what happens is the Maoists generally inhabit the upper highlands, you know, the mountains. That's where they live, most of them. And it's a political party now, you know, in Nepal. And they sometimes riot, which are called strikes. And they all come down from the mountains via buses, hiking, taking trails and all that. And they descend uh, upon the city of Kathmandu and cause a lot of trouble. And one of those was happening at the time that Aubrey disappeared.
0: And if I remember correctly, they actually suggested to you that that might be why she was delayed? Buses were delayed, yeah. Okay. Yes. And so they said, you know, just... She's probably okay. Just, she's probably just
3: holding out up there, you know, just waiting for everything to start again. Because, you know, there, like, there were uh, tourists in, like, Kathmandu that had to walk to the airport to catch their flights home.
2: But what they do is they disrupt traffic flows, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I mean, we're not talking about guns and that sort
3: right, right, of yeah. thing. But they also uh, disrupt everything. Yes.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, so
3: they weren't allowing food to get into the hotels, you know, so tourists are like stuck in yeah. these hotels, they can't get food. And it's really, you know, like, you know, uh, plays havoc on the whole tourism and just
0: everyday life there. Well, um, did that make you feel better or worse? But no,
2: I felt better because the embassy, of course, are the people in the know. And they told us all oh, the, the buses are just delayed because there's a strike going on.
0: It doesn't sound terribly dangerous. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it would explain her absence in contacting you guys. Yes. Yes. And again, we were just getting close
3: to the seven day mark. There was also a department called the tourist police that I went ahead and called them. And about this time, you know, I, she was probably getting close to that deadline. And and again, we were just waiting. Um, So, when we heard then that the strike was over and that, you know, they said there were like 50,000 people all over the place that were, had been, you know, stuck somewhere. And the embassy said, basically, well, they've all gotten back. And we were like, okay, how come we're not hearing from Aubrey? Mm-hmm. And um, Paul had said, if we don't hear from her by a certain date, then I'm going. So we kind of had a pending, uh, airline ticket ready for him and our son Crofton, our oldest son to go. And when that date came and we hadn't heard from her, he said, okay, uh, we're
0: going. And that's what they did. Yeah. I would have done the same thing, surgery or not. I would have done the same thing. So
3: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Have you guys been able to talk to anyone that she hiked with or spent time with while doing this trek or close to that time frame?
3: There are um, several people that had seen her or met her along the trail up until um, her first night. She stayed at the Namaste Hotel, and they were just and and Facebook really was a godsend for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my niece and daughter-in-law said, "Please, can we open up a, a." a Facebook account. We're like, we weren't that familiar with Facebook. And I said, right. wait a minute. And then we said, yes, go ahead. And yeah. and it got out there so quick. And we were um, getting contacts just unbelievable through that. There was a, a gal that had contacted us and said, I met Aubrey at the India border. And I would never forget her. I mean, she, this was before she'd even gotten into Nepal. Um, there was a guard when she had left uh, the, the original check-in post, the trailhead, that um, it was a woman, uh, was, were they, was she Army? Probably Army that held that post. And yeah. Aubrey signed in and left. And she said, Aubrey turned around and waved at her. And so there were people that, you know, we, we remembered her. hit where she was. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and she remembered Aubrey, despite how many hundreds, thousands of people Going up that trail yes. she remembered her.
0: Wow.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like she was very memorable. Did I see that she glitter girl was her nickname? Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I love
2: that. I'll have to show you my tat here. I don't know if you can see that. We don't we hate tattoos, but we love Aubrey so much. I got one.
0: Oh, I love it. Is it backwards for you or it, can you see it? No, I can see it. Yeah. And
2: that is her, that's her signature. Oh, it is. The heart. And she called herself Aubrey Glitter. I love it. And here's a picture of her. And that was maybe, what, a
3: couple years before? She was a senior in high school when she had to take swimming. Remember? Wow.
0: Yeah, she's a beautiful girl. I've gone through all the pictures of her on Facebook and read through all the comments. And it just sounds like everybody loves her. I mean.
2: Absolutely. You know, we were investigated and, you know how it is when there's a disappearance state everybody wants to know everything was there a crime you know what happened and you know i always you know we always cooperated of course with the police and everything but when people would ask us questions you know they're they're kind of implying that you know maybe we had a bad relationship and or or maybe she could have been abused you know just like the standard questions you'd ask about any relationship and it was a I would almost start laughing because it was exactly the opposite, like we were mm. so close. you know,
0: yeah, that's I, definitely it, the impression you know. I've gotten from everything that I've read and <laughs> heard and things like that. So it's going uh, to be very strange, though, to have somebody asking you those questions, and
2: yeah, but we that. understood we understood it, you know yeah. I mean, somebody one of the investigators was wondering if she had some kind of mental illness, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, and And I guess people can they can run away, they can
0: yeah, we've done a couple cases where even the family kind of thinks that that's what happened to their loved one is they you know had some struggles and maybe had some sort of break or something like that, and kind of took off uh, but it doesn't sound like that would be Aubrey to me
2: it doesn't There are some peculiar things though about that. She Aubrey was very philosophical and she was studying Eastern philosophy. And she was reading a book by is it Osho? I can't remember
3: now which one, but there, there was, was a like couple Muji of G and Osho, and I, maybe Muji it was Osho that said that.
2: Yeah. And they were in these books, they they did advocate in each of these books, in certain chapters of the book. The whole book wasn't about this, but they would say that if you ever wanted to become a self-actualized person, that you need to disavow your family. You need to get away from your family. Right. Mm. So that is the only possible thing that could ever make us think that she would run away. But that is so...
0: It's just small. It's impossible
2: yeah. because, you know, we were like an Italian family, you know, that just hanging on each other and just, I mean, just not like that. We didn't have those kind of differences.
0: It. and do you think if she was thinking along those lines that she would have implied or said something that gave you guys the impression that she was going to maybe take some time yes. away or something like that i mean probably and
3: and who knows maybe we could have missed something
0: you know it in this we
3: just don't know where she is you know what happened and therefore it's you know it there is no ending to this Story. It's, it's open, it is open ended.
2: It is. And she was on a soul searching mission. You know, she'd had a breakup with her boyfriend, what, six months earlier? A year? Oh, I think a year. About a year earlier. That really devastated her. I know that. But she had pretty much recovered from that. But, you know, that gap year between high school or between college and, you know, going out into the world, Yeah. a lot of people want to find out what the truth is. You know, what? where do I exist in the world? What is this all about? And so that was the kind of trip, soul-searching trip she was on.
0: Yeah, I I can definitely see that. I know Maddie here has talked about wanting to go travel and just kind of see what she's made of and see what else is out there and see, you know, where she fits in the world, kind of. And, And, you know,
2: I got to really... Tell you how I feel about this, because I do think women are very capable, very capable. And Aubrey was especially a capable woman, really a traveler. I mean, she'd been to many places before going to Nepal. And if you shelter your children, they just don't become what they're going to be.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. But if you don't
2: keep an eye on them at all, bad things can happen. What a parent does, Maddie, and I hope you appreciate this, is there's this balance between the two of them. And if you don't get it right, something bad's going to happen.
0: Yeah.
2: You know? And I know there are fathers that would not have let their daughter go to Asia, even with friends and other people. You know, just wouldn't have let it happen.
3: Right.
2: And that's not the kind of parent I am. And I don't think Connie's that way either. She, she, was she was just, just a,
3: wanting to go.
2: She was a take charge person that knew what she wanted.
3: What yep. she wanted. Yeah. And you don't put somebody like that in the closet in their room. Right. And she would hound Soon you until she that. got her way. she was five. Yeah. Or no, when she was in preschool, one of the parents had come to preschool and played the violin, uh, a song for the kids. And she came home and said, I want to play the violin. We're like, oh, okay. Aww. Well, she hounded us for two years. She wanted to play the violin. <laughs> so we finally said, well, okay. maybe we should. And we, you know, she took off. She had a little violin this big and then played all the way through college. You see, with a
2: lot of kids, you have to beat them in a submission, you know, right. to play the piano or something. She yeah. wasn't like yeah. that. Yeah. She just took charge.
3: And,
0: and if and she, she wanted it, it, then she went after
3: it kind of. Kind. Yes. Yeah. yeah, And she kept at it. So she talked us into it.
2: Oh. And it's the child that you don't worry about that maybe you should worry about the most.
0: That's probably good advice, especially for somebody who has as many kids as I do, you know? I yeah. mean, yeah.
3: Mandy, how old are you?
0: I'm 19.
2: 19. Oh. You're still a baby, I guess, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. she'll be 20 in September. Oh. I don't like it.
2: <laughs> nice. How old is your older sister?
0: Uh, she's 22.
2: 22.
0: hmm Yep. So, I mean, Maddie is kind of... Uh, she's kind of the one that I worry the least about in a lot of things, but I worry the most about in other things. I think with all my kids, I have different things that... Different worries. Yeah. Different yes. worries. Yeah. Different relationships. <laughs> my relationship is very different with each of my children. And I think based on personality, you really... Have to adapt your parenting style, or the way that you worry, you worry, or the way that you try to stop them from doing things, or force them into doing things. Uh, all of those, because and, and
3: that's true. You know, we Aubrey always had the earliest curfew. <laughs> 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 you know, it, we had to do that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> And, and probably, even though that early time, it would be stretched a little bit later. And so then she got home when we really wanted her to. Right,
0: right. Um, that I would have to do that with this one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When she still had curfews, you know.
3: And you never stop
2: worrying. You know, our boys are in their 30s now. And we're still worrying a lot about them.
3: Well, and then they, oh, our son is married, so we worry about her too. Mm-hmm. And now they have three boys and we worry about them. So it, you just keep worrying about everybody that's in the same. It's just a never ending. It is. And that's what family is.
2: The Italians have a saying that the men work and the women worry, <laughs> but I don't think that's true anymore. I think everybody worries a lot.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. I I was thinking about that, you know, I mean, we do this podcast together, you know, and we talk about a lot of families and we talk about a lot of times where things do go wrong, you know, where the wow. the bad thing happens or the wrong thing happens or whatever. And it just makes you realize how scary and dangerous the world can still be, and then trying to still enjoy it and not let that control how you, Interact with the world at the same time.
2: That's the great dichotomy. It is. You know, we were not big travelers, Kanye and I. Um, we had gone to Mexico with the kids a f- couple of times, uh, but we're really not big travelers. She was a serious traveler. She loved to travel. And had she not gone missing, who knows where she'd be uh, traveling to now? I mean, it would be all over the world. And we always thought she might end up living somewhere else, right? Mm. Some other country or something. Yeah. Some people just really like to travel. But she didn't
0: get that from us. (laughs) But she probably got her ability to want to adventure and learn and do all of these things from you guys, even if you're not doing it traveling the world, you know, I mean.
2: Maybe so, huh? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Okay, so another question I had was, I read, I think it was in the Associated Press that you had found her laptop and journal. Was that true?
2: Yes, when we first went to uh, Nepal, this is when we were pretty sure something had, bad had happened. We had learned from sources, might've been from Aubrey herself through email, where she had stayed at last before she went on her Faithful hike. So we went with a couple of officials from the embassy to that hotel to investigate. Sort of a non-police investigation, right? The embassy has to be careful because there are certain people that are police really restricted on what they can do in another country, see? So these people helped us investigate. And we did go to a small little hotel in Tamil, which is a trendy part of Kathmandu. Right. And when we were there, we were told that she had locked her things in a locker, that she was going to come back to that locker to pick up her heavy things.
0: Okay. Her
2: backpack, her laptop, and all that stuff. And so when we went to the hotel, you know, with the embassy with us, they allowed us to go through her locker and to take these things with us. And that's when we found her guitar, right? Yes. Yeah.
3: You know, because there's no yeah. way that they can travel with all yeah, the stuff all that, that they've stuff. been traveling. Right, right. So they yeah.
2: frequently leave it behind in a locker and they just and I over. think
3: when she had gotten her pass to go on her trek, they do ask where what hotel were you staying at? And so I think yeah. the embassy looked that up
0: and then they determined where she yeah, told was.
2: It. But it was indeed the last hotel she'd stayed at. Okay. Her hike.
0: And it wasn't it wasn't like from when she had been hiking. It was before she left for the hike. Yes, okay, yeah. Okay.
2: It was just an awful experience.
0: I can't even imagine.
2: Because as I'm going through her things with the embassy people around me, I find her journal in there. And the first page I opened it to said something about, my dad is my hero. And
0: uh, yeah. It was awful. That would just be heartbreaking.
2: It was like, you know, being in a movie, except it's about you, you know.
0: When um, our son, Crofton, came home
3: one or two weeks before you, uh, when we picked him up at the airport,
0: the saddest thing was to see him carrying her guitar. Yeah. Yeah. She had a lot of pictures with her guitar. That was something that was really important to her, was music when she was traveling. She liked to
2: write music, you know.
0: Yes,
3: and she had gone to Darjeeling. Uh, which was right on the border of Nepal and India. And this she wrote us all about how she found this guitar and how important it was to her. And I don't know what she paid for it, but she was so excited to have found this guitar. And we cherish it, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I brought it to a luthier because the neck was warped. Oh. To fix it, you know. And he fixed it up real good. And I said, well, he's a really honest guy. And I said, God, doesn't this guitar sound good? You know, After you fixed it up, and he goes, no.
0: <laughs>
2: and so, you know, Aubrey and I were guitar players, you know. And we both wrote music. And we worked on songs together. Not a lot, right? A little bit. So that was a connection we had. And with those two, it was more a mother-daughter thing. We were so much alike, except I wasn't as loud as her,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so since her disappearance, you know, I formed a band, and I've written you know many, many songs,
0: yeah, I've listened, I've listened to some All of, of them. them,
2: oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, they're pretty they're, sad, great. Aren't
2: they? they're pretty sad, aren't they?
0: yeah,
2: I'm still writing them I mean, just last night, my band did one of her songs last night, you know, in-
0: I love that, I love that you can you know, keep her around with being able to pour it into something creative, I mean, rather than just having it weigh with no outlet, you know? it would kill you. Mm -hmm.
2: It would kill you. Somebody asked me one time, what does it feel like, you know, to have your daughter go missing, you know, and not know where she is? And as a writer, of course, that's all writers do, is they try to put things into words. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think still most accurately describes the feeling. Do you know you're in a big department store, or at least used to be, you know, in a big department store, and you you have a little kid who's three years old or whatever, and you're holding their hand or something, and then all of a sudden, they disappear behind the rack, behind the racks of clothing, and your stomach drops to your waist, you know, and your heart... Well, that's what it feels like to have your daughter go missing, except it never ends.
0: It's all the time.
2: It never ends. That is the best description that I was able to come up with.
3: What I feel is, you know, there's no closure. You know, there, there's an emptiness. And basically, you put your feelings aside so that you can get through every day. But there's a vacancy. There's an empty spot at the table. Uh, someone is missing from the group family photo. And Aubrey has three young nephews that are only seeing her through pictures or we you know, talk about her. And they are missing out. Again, there's
0: the empty spot at the table. That one gets me. The empty spot at the table. I can't. Yeah.
3: And, and for me, it's really hard to take family photos because someone is missing. You know what? And when we do a, a family photo like for Christmas or something, I always try to stage it near a piece of her artwork or something, you know, That's that has a good to idea. Do with her because we haven't I haven't forgotten and I know no one else has. Um but it just keeps her in our group.
0: Yeah. Well I mean I think you guys are doing an amazing job. I love that her artwork is on the wall behind you right now. I mean, oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you you talked about like not really having any closure. I mean, have you guys gotten anything from... I mean, you've hired private investigators, right? Or had people going in and looking? I mean, questioning? Oh, so many. Oh, yeah. has, has anything solid come from any of that? Probably
2: over 100 people have gone looking and investigating in our direction. Maybe, um, maybe a quarter of those would be police and high-level investigators in Nepal. In fact, there's a guy where I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of today about it. And then we've hired groups of trackers and undercover people uh, oh, that investigate right. and look. And just not even a clue, you know? And I know you had on here as one of your questions. Uh, years ago... The people that run these tea houses, mm-hmm. some of them had found a body by the Langtang River and they reported it to authorities. And there's a a real bad relationship between the mountain people and the police. And the mountain people are thought of as being kind of primitive and untrustworthy. And the police are thought of as being very heavy handed.
0: Okay.
2: And when the, these uh, this evidence was found of a murder or something that happened a long time ago, the police um, jailed. They beat the people and jailed them. They beat them, right? So ever since then, and probably even before that, the mountain people were very skeptical of the police, very distrusting. So when there were people that had clues about Aubrey, where she was, what she did, what she said, they either didn't disclose the evidence, or they disclosed it briefly, and then changed their story. Okay. And what was difficult, and to this day is very difficult, is we don't know if they changed their story because of their relationship with the police, just not wanting to be involved, or if they were actually involved. See? It makes it very, very confusing.
0: Well, because of the fear. I mean, if they're scared of getting somebody in trouble that didn't do anything because they give this clue or they're scared of getting in trouble themselves because they have a clue. Yeah. That totally makes sense that people would change their stories or be scared to come forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that
3: the story that Paul was telling you about these people who reported that that person, these people, and it seemed to me there were a couple of them, maybe a two or three people, I, I can't remember exactly, but they had been jailed, I believe, for 10 years. They had just been released oh, yeah. around the time that, of Aubrey's disappearance. Yeah. So okay. that story just kept coming up, you know, when we were, you know, trying to get investigators or find out information and like, hey, you know, these people were just released and everybody is, you Not know, when have that story in the back of their mind and they're going to be hush-hush.
0: Now, wasn't there three... <laughs> people who were actually jailed in Aubrey's case for something like 22 days? Yes, yep. and that was so strange. I couldn't really make sense of it.
2: <laughs> we had police that were investigating. One of the cops was in a bar, or the equivalent of a some kind of, could have been a food place, but was sitting at the counter and be, and befriended one of the people at the counter and this person, not knowing he was talking to a police officer, started talking about this girl that disappeared, this American girl. This guy said he had something to do with the disappearance, right?
3: Yes. I think he said he and these other two people had murdered Aubrey. To Tracy. So to make a long story short, they
2: said they had facts about Aubrey's disappearance. Either they were involved or they knew who was.
0: Right.
2: And the police... Followed them all the way up the trail, all the way up the mountain in the land Tank, uh, only to find out the story was not true,
0: yeah. right? Yeah. Okay.
2: And then, because everything was so suspicious, they jailed these people and then asked questions later.
0: <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> so what we were kind of thinking might have been what happened, because... It seemed like they were jailed pretty much right away. And then they're like, oh, actually, they have nothing. We don't think they have anything to do with it. Yeah. That
3: was a couple of days of living hell because rumors were coming back. Uh, We called the embassy and like, hey, you know, why didn't you guys tell us about this? They're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. So they Mm -hmm. hadn't even been told that this thing had occurred. So it was... Hell For a
2: few days. One of the things that we're most proud of, even though it didn't lead to finding our daughter, is that we developed connections in Nepal.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's because we're trusted people. We're just parents trying to find find our child, you know. The country of Nepal, the people are beautiful in that country. They're wonderful people. We're dealing with these wonderful people,
0: kind and everything. And on the other hand,
2: a murder could have occurred, you know.
0: It was like Jekyll and I. How do you even associate the two things?
2: And you can't hate all of them because of
3: something one of them might have done wrong, you know. And it's been said that Aubrey's disappearance, her case has been one of the largest Big picture yeah. investigation in their history. Now I don't know what's happened since two thousand ten, but we made such a big stink and involves so many people. Um which, good or bad, you know, I mean it you know, we weren't gonna let it go. Well,
0: and like I said at the beginning, we had no idea how dangerous some of these areas could be, you know, and wouldn't have known that if it hadn't been for for reading about Aubrey, you know? Yeah, I think you guys making a big stink about it. I think that that made a lot of people maybe think twice and maybe change their plans and maybe get a guide. Get a guide. At least be aware of the danger that's out there, you know?
3: Yes. And, and they don't talk about it
0: because of
3: tourism. And the suspicion there is that the very people entrusted
2: with policing and, and guarding the land tank
0: there's a lot of suspicion around them being involved in some of these murders and disappearances and things like that. And frankly,
2: there's suspicion that they could be involved in Aubrey's disappearance Mm -hmm. because they were on the trail. um, And
0: close by where she was too, right? I mean... Yeah.
2: But nobody knows.
0: Yeah, there are
3: just so many different scenarios. We don't
0: know. That's got to be just one of the hardest things is not knowing. I mean running through all of these scenarios in your head over and over again, you know, what's more likely, what might've happened, you know, maybe, I mean, I just, that would be so difficult to wrap your brain around, I think.
2: You know, I've always felt, I, I I've never been real confident that we would find Aubrey. Now, Connie feels differently than I do, but You know, and I'm a lawyer. I mean, I've been a lawyer for 38 years. And so I'm more sort of evidence-based, you know. But I have always believed that we would find out what happened to her. I still do. I still fervently believe that, that we're going to find out what happened. One of which could be that she ran away. Although that's, you know, small chance.
0: Smaller, yeah.
2: But yeah, there's always this hole that is never going to be filled. Mm -hmm. And you just learn to live around it. You know, people say, you have to fill that space. You know, that person goes missing or dies and you have to fill that space. You don't. You learn to live around Mm -hmm. the hole. That's all you do.
0: I mean, we really hope that you guys get answers and closure and somebody knows something, right? I mean, hopefully it's just a matter of time before that person comes forward or before she's found. Yeah, and
2: you know, and even if there's foul play, um, as the years go by, somebody always talks.
0: Somebody always talks. Mm-hmm. Always. We've seen that in cases, you know, where yeah. decades have gone by and then somebody's like, Oh yeah, by the way, I mean it, it happens. Yeah, someone like talks about it on their deathbed or tells their... somebody when they're drunk yeah. in a bar. You guys also have working against you, the culture who, you know, are reluctant to talk to authorities and are reluctant to um, share information that they might have if somebody has talked or if somebody does know something. So, I mean, you've kind of got that working against you as well, which must be difficult.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. But all in all, I still feel really, really good that we have done just more than anybody could have done, you know? So even though our ultimate goal wasn't achieved... We feel we did a good job. Really well, do.
3: And, you know, we weren't afraid to take a chance on something that we heard about. We actually they unearthed some remains of a woman um, up in the mountains that we had an um, an, Amer- Justin, an American yeah. went and they, the Nepalese were freaking out because they wanted to unearth. You know, I mean, it was taboo. You don't do that. Um, but He was part of a group that unearthed these remains so that we could get DNA. And obviously it was not Aubrey, but Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, we didn't have a lot of people on our side, but it's like, you know what, we're we're not taking a chance. We're going to find out. We're going to do, dig whatever we can. Dig deep.
0: Yeah. And to know that you did everything that you can. I mean, it does sound like you guys have done yeah. everything within your ability to, I mean, everything that you could do. I, I can't think of anything that you guys could have done better, or
1: done more of, like you guys really did do everything that you could.
2: Yeah. It's such a mystery, just unbelievable. Just, mm-hmm. and you know, if somebody falls in the river, about 20%, and this is, this is anecdotal, you know, it's not hard evidence, but about 20 to 25% of the time, something would be found in the river. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing was
0: found. Not one thing. No. No evidence of a murder. None at all. To me, that's the most bizarre and frustrating part is they just have found nothing. No Mm -hmm. evidence, no clues, no no nothing, which... Which is pretty rare. I think we've only seen...
1: One or two other cases that we've done where someone goes completely Just missing. vanishes,
0: where there's no nothing evidence. behind.
1: Yeah. No one has any idea what happened. And you can't really make a guess about what happened because there's no evidence.
2: Yes. You know, I want to ask you guys a question here. Mm-hmm. Probably not a, a good question to ask because you're interviewing us, but
0: I'm
2: <laughs> interview you. You have had more experience probably with missing persons mm-hmm. than we have. What do you think, of based on what you've seen? And I know you haven't seen everything. What do you think?
0: I mean, I mean, it's hard to say, but for me, I, we've talked about this a mm-hmm. bit. I kind of lean more on the foul play side, just because there hasn't been any evidence and nothing found. And I feel like if, if Aubrey got lost out there, she doesn't seem like the kind of trekker that would wander off the path or go far from where she should be or where she is heading, you know. She she seems like the kind of trekker that would set her sights on where she wants to go and that's where she's going to go. She's not going to wander and disappear and things like that. So to me the two most likely scenarios would be that she wandered into the woods and got lost and They just, it's so dense that they haven't found her um, or the foul play where they've covered up their evidence good or people are scared to come forward with anything that they might have found. How about you?
1: I kind of lean towards the foul play in some way that just someone's not saying something and someone
0: knows something and just... Yeah. I mean, because we do a lot of cases where people go missing and we think, they are they're lost. We yeah. think that they, you know, went off track and maybe to use the bathroom or maybe to do something. And then they got turned around, which is really easy to do. We've done a lot of backpacking and hiking ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we've we've gone to a lot of yeah. these hikes where people have gone missing. You know, we've gone and we're we're like, look at this forest. You guys say that they would have been found, but I'm telling you right now, yeah. somebody can be lost in here and not be found for oh, yeah. long periods of time. But usually there's a reason we think that they just got lost, you know, or Mm -hmm. something leads us more in that direction than in the foul play direction. So, I mean, it's hard to say, but I don't know.
2: Well, I appreciate that. uh, Because the more people we talk to, the more we learn. Just little things I picked up from what you just said can be helpful. One of which is that Arby would be the type of person that would want to stay on the trail more than get off of it, you know? Yeah. And if you saw where the trail was up there, there are only a couple of places where you could really get away from the trail. Because mm-hmm. it's very thick, you know?
0: Well, so, and a lot mm-hmm. of times in guidebooks, we've seen this where there will be a, oh, if you go just a quarter mile off the trail at this spot, you can find this waterfall or or yeah. things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen cases where... Somebody goes missing right in an area where we know there are these waterfalls, you know, not far from the trail where it's really easy to get lost and turned around if you head in that direction. But I'm not sure if Aubrey's book had anything like that as far as, you know, things that are off trail. Um, It sounds like this particular track is more stay on the trail kind of hike.
2: There are a couple of places and we really search those well. Mm. A couple of places where she could have gotten off. One of which we had to be get lowered in by helicopter.
0: Really?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow. Yeah, we've wow. been on helicopters before.
3: And then the embassy did a training session with Nepalese that they had dogs. They had mm. search dogs out there.
0: Yeah. And they didn't find
3: anything. It is
2: one of the most beautiful and mysterious places in the world.
0: The world is a big place. And we... It seems like you should be able to find somebody, no matter what the terrain is. And for some reason it that just doesn't happen. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm.
2: Well said. Yeah. We often talk about well, what will we what will we do if Ari comes back? And I tell Kami, we're gonna be really pissed.
3: <laughs>
2: really pissed.
3: Maybe
0: you, not me.
2: And then we're gonna be really happy.
0: And then really happy. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, if she ran away, I mean, you know, if she was abducted or something, (laughs) right, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) But yeah, if she ran away, I'd I'd be really mad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And there's always that possibility. Yeah, Yeah. you know, one of um, the one a story that has always given me hope is the uh, J.C. DeGard story. Oh, we we covered um, that story actually. Yep, and you know, I read her book. Um, I kept being drawn to this book. I'm like, I don't read really this. And I did. And, you know, 18 years she was missing.
0: And children. She had children while she was missing. I mean, it's yes. a crazy, crazy yeah. story. It's an amazing story. And yeah, I think, I think that's good. You guys seem to have a really good balance of like realistic hope and, you know, holding on to the good things. And
2: it used to be all one way. Or all the other,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that was the roller coaster we were on. Now it's it's not as pronounced, you know. It's not as exaggerated.
0: Yeah. So you have learned still, to live with that hole a little bit, right? I think like,
2: so. It goes back and
0: forth. But there are still days where
3: he's on a different place than I am, yeah. you know. Um, and 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 that's hard. But you know, you deal with it. You you do deal with it. You know, there were many days that it's like I don't even want to get up. This is so awful. But it's like wait. I'm not doing Aubrey any good. If I'm just staying in bed, I'm not doing any good for my husband or my children. Grandbabies. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And you just get up and you just got to do
1: it. Yeah. We see things in some cases that we do
0: that, that this kind of thing like drags families apart really bad. It either drags them apart or it pulls them together, you know, and they get to choose which one it is. And it can be a really hard Hard decision to make it can be a hard thing to live with, you know, and I really admire you guys. I mean, I think you guys are doing the best yeah. that you can with this this terrible situation, and I think it's amazing so well thank you well, thank you
2: yeah. thank you, yeah, we've had tough times, you know because of this, but somehow we just keep you know just keep at it right
0: mm-hmm. you have to uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that you want um, us to know or our listeners to know, or is there anything that anybody can do to bring more awareness?
2: Yes, uh, there is. Uh, any, any clue you might, your listeners might see, anything they might know, please get in touch with us. Anything, even if it's a rumor, if they hear a rumor, we'll follow almost every lead. That comes to us.
3: Do you mind if we have them let you know? And yeah, then you can oh, yeah. absolutely. We that would know. be the best way at the okay. moment. And what always amazed us is we do have a substantial award. um You know, a reward. Yeah. For any any information, you know, Aubrey, I don't think anybody has ever ever contacted us trying to get the reward and say, I know something, yeah. you know, what, 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 here's where you can send the reward to. So it's really, really strange. Well, thank you. Well, it was nice meeting you. you it too. was
0: so thank lovely to meet you guys as well. We really hope that your little girl is found. We oh, know. thank you.
2: So Thanks a lot. Nice. I would love to be doing a good news interview
3: with you. you know. oh, that would be awesome. That would be, She's be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we can come back and do that.
3: Yes, <laughs> I've got goosebumps.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again, you guys. All right. All okay. right. You guys, okay. Thank you so much, you, you guys. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was our interview with Paul and Connie. Great people. We're so glad that we got the opportunity. And I, I've got to say, it was really difficult for us too. Maddie and I both. I don't know if you can hear it in our voices. We both teared up multiple times. It's really. It makes this feel a lot more real than it is. Like, it really... Right. It's easy to be detached sometimes from these cases because we're researching, we're telling these stories, but when we're actually interacting with the family, it's a lot harder for us to separate. And this case kind of hit us hard anyway because Maddie's almost the same age as Aubrey, and she wants to go to Nepal, and we've talked about some of these, like, further away trips that she wants to do and i've always been terrified to let her leave me um and actually i don't i don't know if you caught that but uh Connie did suggest that I take her passport away.
1: <laughs> yes, which <laughs> so that I'm she not can't even, leave. <laughs> I'm not even in possession of my own passport either. <laughs> I s- uh, still talk to my mom about my work schedule. I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon.
0: Yeah, but I think it's important that we all find the right balance between being scared and cautious mm-hmm. and still living our lives, right? But. And You know, where it makes sense, getting a guide, where it makes sense, not traveling alone. Um, Getting a
1: GPS.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do to set ourselves up for better success. You know, it's why I'm not nervous when I go hiking because I know that I'm extremely capable and that I I have. I don't care. Maddie doesn't care. I don't care. You slip
1: off a mountain, you hit your head, you're unconscious, and then you bleed out because there's no one there to call for help. Well, I have have a GPS phone, though. Yeah, but that's not going to work if you're unconscious.
0: What's that going to do? There was actually... I stayed really far away from the cornices on my last hike because I was up on a ridge and they were like these... They were beautiful. But definitely, if you don't know what you're doing, I could easily see how somebody might get up to that edge, not realizing that they're in a dangerous spot and fall. You know, cornices break off with weight on them and these ones are no exception. So... Um, I think just being careful and being aware and being smart. And uh,
1: I'm really hoping that this episode and this interview and us re up Aubrey's case is going to jog something and someone's going to know anything. But if that's not the case, the, l- the least we can do is make sure that other people are safe and do think right. about things before they put themselves
0: in it. And if you know anything about this case, because we feel like somebody has to know something in this case. And we feel like maybe with the... Were you in Nepal in 2010? Were you in Tang? Do you know somebody who was there or somebody who knows something from their time backpacking or something? There is a reward in this case, you guys. If you have any information... Bring it to us, and we will make sure that it gets into the right hands. There's a reward. Money. Only real tips, though, please. Yes, please.
1: But But go hunt down your friend that was in Nepal around the same time and go ask them what they know. I don't know.
0: Or we we also have listeners in Nepal. Yeah. So if you know something or can find something out, I mean, this family deserves to know what happened to their daughter.
1: They deserve closure for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in for this special episode, you guys. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, thanks again to Paul and Connie. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, and make sure you go and check out Aubrey Sacco's music and Paul Sacco. They both are on all the platforms where you can get your music. So go and check them out. And be safe out there, you guys. Make good choices, okay?
1: Don't be stupid.
0: All right. Bye. Don't go anywhere by yourself or you will die.
1: <laughs> Death.
0: <laughs> Immediate. Go to the grocery store by your dad. Dead. Yeah, maybe just don't go anywhere alone. Yeah. I, don't I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's a scary world out there.
0: It's very scary.
1: But you're rolling the
0: crowd ahead.